0: to this week's Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Wendy Batts here with my friend and co-host, Mr. Marty Miller. Marty, how are you today?
1: Great, Wendy. Thanks, as always. I'm looking forward to today's topic and hanging out with you for a bit and seeing what kind of you know trouble we get into.
0: Yes. And for those of you guys joining us, we are live today. So if you have any questions, please always feel free to put them in the comments. And Marty and I will do our best to ensure that we get those questions answered. And today's topic is actually questions from the group. And as you all know, Marty and I are part of the Facebook group. Um, We also are involved a lot with our Instagram, and we get a lot of feedback and information via email and messenger. So we really appreciate those questions. But there seems to be a common question that keeps coming in or coming up. And Marty, that question revolves around programming. So today we're going to spend a lot of time mainly discussing some of these questions that we're getting and hopefully putting some clarity behind it.
1: Yeah, Wendy, you and I have been teaching Friend ASM for, NASM for ooh, over 18 years now. So prior, this is, wow, we're dating ourselves for sure. When we first got into this, program design was talking to your friends and you know just trial and error. Now we've got so much influence with social media and Instagram and things like that. There can be good from that, but there can also be bad. I think people get uh, confused Uh, a little bit too easily because they just see all of these exercises. So even before we get into it, you know what Wendy and I are going to say is the model is going to be your friend. It's your toolbox. You're going to look at the phases of training. You're going to look at the acute variables. You're going to think about where things can be slotted. And then you have your progressions and regressions, planes of motion. So we want to get in here and give examples. But at the highest level, you don't have to overthink program design and confuse yourself, and hopefully at the end of today's Master Director Roundtable, you'll see our philosophy behind it and see how valuable the model will always be as you decide how to create your programs.
0: Yes. So what we're going to talk about, we're always going to mention the NASM Certified Personal Trainer Facebook page that NASM has. As I mentioned, Marty and I are both on there along with some of our other uh, NASM family so therefore we can try to answer your questions real time and I know Marty you and I check it multiple times a day and do our best but there's a huge community and we'll talk about this community and how you can be a part of it if you're not that answers like just provides you with a lot of just life experiences things that they've gone through if you have questions about business or the model or specific clients we do our best but oftentimes it's going to be It depends. And what does the assessment say? And then let's try to work from there. (laughs) Um, We also then uh, that's mainly the goal, but also, too, we we try to answer the questions and we just build a community. And I really, really enjoy this page a lot because I learn a lot from you guys. And hopefully we are offering some good uh, feedback and suggestions for you as well.
1: Yeah, great place to stay connected with the industry, learn from people from around the world as well. And, you know, sometimes you just need someone else to say, Yep, I struggle with that too, and it makes you just feel a little bit better. Yes.
0: And the goal, I, we just talked about it network with your peers. Guys, everyone that's on that NASM Facebook has taken the NASM CPT and passed. And so, therefore, we all have gone through the same methodologies and practice. However, sometimes putting it into practice with your clients, it's a little bit different, especially if you haven't attended a live workshop or gone to a conference. But you're with like-minded professionals, you're able to talk amongst your peers and like I said, grow, grow professionally. Think about upcoming education that may be out there. There might be seminars that you didn't you weren't aware of that somebody talks about. We also have one of our nutritionists on there. So if there's a nutrition question, she's a registered dietitian. So she offers some great feedback and input as well. So just remember, we can only help you if you ask questions. And um, there was actually a question that just came up. And the question was, do you have a link to this group on the Facebook page? Marty, if you just go to, well, for anyone listening, if you just go to Facebook and you look under NASM Certified Personal Trainers, you have to Um, asked to join the group we just make sure that you're certified and once you get approved you will be a part of that group so it does take it's not instantaneous it does take a little bit of time but uh, we want to say thanks for joining us especially from the UK I love the UK (laughs) just saying (laughs) but thanks yeah. for your
1: question. Worst places we could end up being, right? But the key thing, being around like-minded people and having uh, a place, a platform you can bounce ideas off of, because a lot of you are independent trainers. You may not have people in your everyday life that you go to work with and get to interact with. So I think that it's very valuable. And then on the flip side, after you know we talk about Facebook, we have two now Instagram channels. So a lot of you are very familiar with our NESM Fitness channel. You'll see that there we have well over two hundred thousand followers. And not too long ago, Wendy could probably give us more of an exact date. We started our NESM Performance channel to kind of have the an area where we're going to talk strictly more performance, whether that's the physique and bodybuilding or sports performance. Remember, this is and has been designed as a performance model since day one. Everybody can use it. As you know, everyone's that athlete. This works for everybody. And you'll see now where I know last time I checked, uh, Wendy, we're well over 3,400 followers on the performance side. And you and I both go live on the NAS and Performance channel as well just to simply answer people's questions and come up with some good engaging topics to try to get people to have that next level of knowledge. And, you know, I always like to think about information being dripped in daily, right? Like if you can just get a little bit of information here and there and stay on that path, it just kind of keeps you sharp and keeps you engaged with what's going on in the industry.
0: Yes, and in Marty and I, we do an Instagram live on the NASM performance uh, channel. We do that usually, usually twice a month. I know there's uh, Guillermo Escalante. He is um, a subject matter expert and you know, professional in bodybuilding But he also comes and does one um, with uh, Tony Amberle They talk about research. And then, Marty, you do the – I'll let you talk about what you do. Um, I kind of want to steal your thunder and talk about it when you're right there. So you go ahead
1: and talk to us. Anytime you want to talk about it, it's all good. I'd love to hear your (laughs) take on it. But uh, generally, Tuesdays or Wednesdays, I go live on the NESM Fitness Channel. You can set an alert so you know. Right between that 6 a.m. and 9 a.m. East Coast time, it's just simply a coffee talk. And this topic goes all the way back to the first Optima. We needed one more session. I said, just put me in a room with coffee. We'll get up at six six o'clock in the morning because everybody's up. And we'll just hang out and chat. And since then, it's become one of our more popular uh, formats. Now we've gone virtual with it because it ends up being only what you want to talk about. I come with a couple ideas based on people reaching out to me or things that we didn't quite finish on the last coffee talk. But I'm prepared, but there's not a predetermined script because it depends who shows up that day and which way the conversation goes. And that's just, again, going back to being around peers that you can just talk shop with. So that's why we do that on the NASM channel. And I love it because I'm I'm just ready to go and see where we venture off into what part of the industry and what part of the model or topics. And it's never not fun for me whatsoever. I love it.
0: Yes. So when we we when we don't get to interact and do it on Facebook or through um, our podcast, just join Marty because he is a wealth of knowledge. Um, There was another question that came in. Actually, says I got my qualifications through Premier Global NASM. Does this count? As I didn't manage to put in the details to join this group, Um, I think it does as long as you've you've passed your exam. They'll just look to see that you're current. And as long as you're current in your um, qualifications, then you can definitely be a part of our group.
1: Yeah, we have people from all over the world. So, yeah, just make sure you put that in.
0: Yeah. All right, Marty. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to read the question. So therefore, if someone's driving and not watching this, they know what the question that we're going to answer is, this was actually a two part question, but I think we can break it up into two different questions because they're very long answers. (laughs) And so the question is, is I'm missing a real practical application of what this looks like session to session and week to week. The way that it laid out was this day one, this day two and et cetera, and progressions realistically aren't happening in one day, So when to progress and what a weekly workout routine would look like until you actually progress someone was unclear. Do you do the same exact exercises for that whole time until they're ready to progress?
1: Okay. I love this question and I guarantee that if Wendy and I were live doing workshops we would have, I would, I know I would have a dry eraser board and I'd be drawing all kinds of things. So, you know, and we, we could get into this for hours, but we're going to try to get a, a good dive into this for 20, 30 minutes and give you a higher level thinking process. So that way we can teach you how to think it through. We don't want to just give you an exercise progression, and say it's got to be this, right? We can talk about something, but when, you know, I'll speak for myself, but I know Wendy uh, thinks this the same way. So We are sticklers to the model, okay? And what I mean by that is we know what the evaluation says. We know what phase of training they're in. We know what plane of motion that they need to be in right now. We know what exercise progression they can handle. We know micro progressions and micro regressions based off that. Now, I'll also pause there and say we train movements, not muscles. We may talk to our client, okay, here's your chest, here's your back. We know that it could be a pushing exercise, a pulling exercise, a hinging exercise, triple flexion, triple extension. So we have clients that are totally comfortable in doing something very similar for a couple of weeks at a time, right? Because their mindset is, hey, I'm coming to you because I don't know what I'm doing. So if you tell me to do these same exercises for two or three days in a row, I'm totally comfortable with that. Now, with that being said, let's say we're doing triple flexion, triple extension, Does that mean that it has to be the exact same version of it, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? No, there's different ways to still do that exercise. And maybe they are going to progress just on a little level from a Monday to a Wednesday or a Monday through a Friday. But you're not going to see Wendy and I just randomly grab exercises and do it like we're rolling the dice. Now, in today's space, when we're training, Due to the fact that everyone can go on Instagram and YouTube and find new exercises, people tend to get bored quicker than when I started in an industry. So I'll mention this and then I'll turn it over to Wendy is let's say I'm working on a glute bridge and I know that that's where they're at right now, that that is the right exercise for their core stabilization programming. Do I give them the same core bridge monday wednesday friday for three or four weeks no do i have a lot of progressions and regressions i can do off that so it could look different or it is just a minor step up absolutely right but you so you have to be creative with the movement you're trying to attack with the phase of training and the acute variables that are appropriate and try just to have multiple versions of that for two reasons One, because it might just be a micro progression they need. And if you go too far past that progression, their form and technique breaks down. Or you have that person that says, I did that last time I was here. Right. So you have to kind of find a way. We were talking about this on one of our other podcasts, you know, give them what they want while you give them what they need. Right. So Wendy and I are masterful at giving them exactly what they need, but making it maybe look slightly different each day. So that way, we're not just randomly grabbing exercises, we're following a progression and logic, but the client's like, oh my God, we didn't do this yet.
0: Mm-hmm. And I'm going to piggyback, you know, and, and those of you guys that are joining the Master Instructor Roundtable, we are live today with myself, Wendy Batson, Marty Miller, and we're talking about this question about when to progress an exercise, because I think it's important And we get this all the time. So this is a very common question, especially when you're newer to training or even if you've been in the industry and you just don't know if you're doing it right. Or you want to kind of take a step back into your business and look at how do you become even a better trainer with what you said, Marty? I 100 percent agree. And Those that have have listened to myself and Marty over the last few years, you know that when I program and it doesn't matter if someone's brand new or it doesn't matter if they're in phase five, there are three particular things that I have, especially if uh, there's two that we always do. And three, if you're a professional athlete and you're working with me and that's part of their warm up before we even meet together, or even if I'm coming in, they know those are the first three things that we're starting off with. And it is a bridge, whether it's a floor bridge or a ball bridge or, you know, some people are calling it a hinge um, where there's a weight on their hips because they're more advanced. That is to activate the glutes, to open up the hips a little bit and to get really good activation there. And then I also do lateral tube walks, and that's really just to work on the small muscles within the outer hip that are usually weak. I didn't that that might not be something that I see in a compensation on the assessment. I just know those are weaker muscles that I really need to be engaged in the programming in the different programs that I write. However, that's my way of programming. And that's what we say when you want to be creative, you know, have to know your reasons why. Those are my reasons why. And every single client, when they start on day one, I put them on the floor we go over a floor bridge and especially because most people's glutes are weak based on the assessment. And I tell them, Hey, this is an exercise that you're going to do every single time we might switch it up in the way that you're doing it. However, it's that important. It is that important. And that's why. So I let them know from day one that even if they hate it, they're going to do it because it's that important to me because of the rationale that I gave them. Now, with that being said, If somebody comes and I see someone once a week, I will program them something. I give them their workout and then I tell them that I want them to repeat that on their own two two times um, outside of what we're doing, maybe on Wednesday and Friday. So they didn't change it up. I gave them the program and told them to repeat it. And that's because I want them to get good at those movement patterns. However, if I am seeing someone two or three times a week, I want to switch it up. But what I'm thinking about is what phase of training am I in? What are the acute variables and what do they need to focus on? So for example, if I'm doing a, a full body workout and I see them three times a week, we will go into all their, their up. So again, they're going to roll. They're going to do their stretches. They're going to do their floor bridge. And then maybe on Monday and core, there's little to no joint motion of the spine. I might have them do a, a bridge and a plank. And then on Wednesday, I would have them do maybe a bridge and a bird dog. And then on Friday, I might have them do a bridge and um, a side plank. So I'm still following the thought process of little to no joint motion of the spine for a core activation exercise. And that's when we say, you know, you're ready to progress. I'm not progressing the exercise. I'm not progressing, I'm not making it, you know, harder or easier I'm focusing on what is it, what the intention. So for you know, another example is if somebody's doing balance work, then maybe they're doing a single leg balance um, just hold on Monday. And then I might do a frontal plane. And if they looked really good on Wednesday in the frontal plane with a with a reach, on Friday, I might do a frontal and a sagittal or start with sagittal and then go frontal. So I'm not really, I mean, I'm progressing kind of the exercise in the way I'm doing it, but I'm still maintaining that little to no joint motion on the stance leg. And so when Marty and I are talking about this, when we say what we switch the exercises up, I want to be creative in my programming because I want to challenge them and I want to show them all the different things that they can do. But if you're looking at the resistance portion and you're doing chest on Monday, it might be a push-up. that's still focusing a lot on the core because there's no joint motion. Then on Wednesday, it may be a chest press that is using dumbbells that I have them do on a ball. Or then on Friday, they may do a cable chest press if I wanted to hit the chest three different times that week. So I'm still maintaining the 4-2-1 tempo, the 12 to 20 repetitions. I'm giving them breaks where needed. However, I am switching up the exercise itself as long as there's no compensations they can maintain the um, five kinetic chain checkpoints points at all times. And it's something that I'm, I'm seeing success in. If they didn't do well on the ball, I'll put them on a bench the next time because I learned my lesson and I need to work more on the stabilization and being in that position on a ball. But I know that's a focal point for my next time on, okay, listen, they need, they're used to being stable. How do I change it up a little bit? So don't, Take it to where it's an extreme i'm not putting barbells i'm not putting heavy weights in their hands i'm focusing on movement patterns tempo and exercise execution
1: Not great points and a question came in for some examples from lauren so let's use the bridge as an example so i could do my standard bridge two feet right up hold come down slow you know i could do that at my four two two one tempo two four two one one tempo then what I could do, there's nothing wrong with maybe even me having a five to eight second hold, right? As long as their form and technique's good, then I can come down. I could come up on two legs, kick one leg out, bring that leg back, come down on two legs, right? Then you would do that with both sides. Then maybe what I could do is come up with two legs, kick one leg out, do the eccentric just on one leg. All right? I'd obviously equal that with both sides. Then eventually I would come up with one leg hold, and come down with one leg. So those are all different examples of a bridge where I can start to play around with, maybe I give them a little bit longer of an isometric, nothing wrong with that. I can start to focus on how they're coming up or coming down with how many legs they're doing it with. But the logic would be to come up with two, kick out, come down with two, then it would be to come up with two, down with one, Then it would be to go up with one down with one so you'll determine when it's appropriate to move through those, but that's just a very simple way to progress or regress the bridge so I could start at a progression if they start to get tired I just go to the regression. So that's where you get to play around with these and see what fits best, but that's just a very simple example of the bridge.
0: Yeah. And there's, you know, so some other examples that someone asked, um, Lauren asked about, you know, the squat and the step up. So think about this. If you're doing a squat, you can, and someone's limited in range of motion at the ankles. So you're working on that one way to give them a little bit more range of motion is to do a ball, a wall ball squat. So you put the ball um, behind your back and you do a wall sit and you're looking for those parallel lines. So you're really emphasizing the five kinetic chain checkpoints and those parallel lines. So therefore, parallel lines for equal weight distribution between the ankle, the knee, and the hip, and then they come up into full hip extension, squeeze the glutes, and they go back down in that tempo. Now, if you want to challenge them and they've been doing it for a while, and you're you know you're way like on to something different, you're going back to the ball squat. Put dumbbells in their hands or hold the last rep for thirty seconds at the bottom. Or, you know, that's just progressions on a ball. Again, those are not micro or uh, micro progressions. Those are bigger progressions. But when you're looking at a squat, ball squat, and then another way to get um, working on those parallel lines for somebody that has um, restricted joints in their ankles is doing a cable squat. So they go down and then they can come up, then you can do a squat to row. So you're not just doing the squat alone, you're adding a different exercise with it. So it's something different for the client, even though the movement of the squat is the same and you can stagger your squat, you know, you can do a squat, um, you know, like some people like to just squat with dumbbells as long as they can maintain good positioning, you know, or they can hold on to, um, you know, a bar if they need to, or do a TRX squat. Again, we're really focusing on the squat but how can you help them get those parallel lines the right way? And so just think about the different components. The squat itself is still two legs going down into a squat. A squat is a squat. Now with a step up, if I, you know, again, the box size and height can change. So that's one way Um, you can have someone like, if you're going to focus on the right side, you should lean forward into the parallel lines. You should be pushing up on the right leg holding that position. So triple extension on the left foot, and then slowly going down for four seconds. And then they can come completely off, put the right foot on again and repeat. And then slowly come down, bring the foot off and repeat. The next time the micro progression to that is to leave the foot on the box the entire time. And when they come down, they can tap their foot and come right back up. So it's more time under tension with little rest. And then you can do a step up to balance to hold and then bicep curl. You could do a step, step up to hold the bicep curl to overhead press. You can do a step up to curl to one arm overhead press. So you can see that there's a lot of different variations. The step up is still the step up. You're just adding different movements. You're making maybe some more total body movements. So therefore you've just knocked out biceps and, and shoulders in that one exercise alone. So if you're short on time or limited in that 60 minute session, maybe it's only 30, 30 minutes. You just did two or three different muscles in that one exercise, you know, so there's different ways you can think about that.
1: No, great points, Wendy. And for those of you joining us today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, myself, Marty Miller here with my co-host and fellow regional master instructor, Wendy Batts, we're taking questions from the group. So we're talking really, truly about program design. So... I think now, Wendy, I think we gave our opinions here on the first part of the question. So maybe now we can move in here to part two. So I'll kind of read this through for, as you said, Wendy, earlier, for those that are driving, we want you to make sure you uh, know exactly where we're headed with this question. So here we go. Most clients do not want to do the same exact thing each time they train. We've covered that. Uh, that is the state of the industry right now. Even if they're doing more reps, it literally feels like what people are trying to understand is such a simple question, yet no one has been able to really deliver it. I've seen other people create programming, but not to be able to explain how they came to that choice of exercise and reps or set changes. I know that seasoned trainers really understand it in their own head, but it doesn't end up getting clearly communicated. It's kind of like assumed it's understood, but until you put both together, it doesn't truly make any sense programming can be so frustrating because of the gap in understanding or this gap in understanding. So Wendy, I'll turn that over to you quickly, but for those of you that are just joining us, make sure you watch this. Once we post it, we talked about this at the very beginning, the model is always going to be your friend. The answers lie within the model. And yes, there's a lot of people out there searching for exercises and they're just doing random things. So when you fully understand the phases of training, you understand progressions and regressions, simple to complex, planes of motion a lot of this will sort of stuff out if you're thinking that through every time you're designing programs for your clients
0: yeah and and like you just said marty within each phase of training within the nasm textbook or within any of our podcasts that we talk about each phase gives you a rep range it gives you the sets it gives you how long somebody may need to rest it gives all the information for you. And those are called acute variables and they're called acute variables because they're variables within a program that can change. So if somebody's doing one set of something, because you're teaching them how to do movement patterns and they're brand new to exercise that day, you may do one set to show them, listen, this is what we're going to focus on. This is how to execute it. And instead of just doing 12 repetitions, it may be really light, maybe just body weight and you're doing 20 and then you move on to another exercise. However, if you're someone like Marty and I that have shown a bunch of compensations in the assessment, we know that they need to be in phase one, but they have been in the gym. They like different stimulation. You've learned that in their personality. When you sat down with them, you know, to find out like more about who they are, then you may be doing two sets of 12 or 15. Like you can choose within that that range that we gave you of how much time do you have? How much talking are you doing because of explaining and then you're going to stick to that number. But when you stick to that number, you're sticking to that number. So when you're choosing an exercise, let's say um, you're going to have someone do a 4 two, one tempo push-up. And that is an appropriate chest push-up for phase one. And that is extremely hard to do. If I say I want you to do 12 repetitions and I know they're not that strong, I'm going to try to set them up for success in the beginning. So I may put them on a... Um, Smith machine that has a locked in bar. And so they're elevated. So they're not having to fight gravity. I'm having them up on their toes. They're contracting and they're staying within the five kinetic chain checkpoints. So abs and glutes tight, chin tucked. They're going to go down for four seconds, pause and come up and add that plus I'm helping them learn that movement pattern, build strength. So therefore each and every time as a progression, I can move that bar down lower and lower until they hit the ground and therefore they never even had to get onto their knees. Or if you wanted to start them on the floor and you didn't have access to a Smith machine, maybe put them on a bench or on the floor with their knees bent. A push-up is the pushup, but if I want them to get 12 repetitions, I need to make sure or 15 or whatever it is that I'm not sacrificing a form for a number. And if I know that all of a sudden I start seeing them fall apart, it will be like, okay, just give me one more. And then we're going to go into something different. And then, you know, next time, meaning the next set, cause you were doing two, you might want to put them, Hey, listen, last time we did it on the floor, we're going to change it up this time. I'm going to put you on a bar and see if we can work on that patterning a little bit differently. They're not going to be like, and, and be offended. They're going to be like, thank you, because we wanted to get to a specific number. So when Marty said, well, we may have to change it on the fly. I just realized they can't do what I thought they could. And instead of making a feel bad, I'm just, hey, let's shut that down now and let's go to the next exercise. And so, you know, it's it's also how you sell yourself. It's how you sell the session. It's how you talk to your client that's really going to to just make them happy to be with you. And then, you know, you're working with the you know, their capabilities and you're not letting them just do terrible movement patterns because as we also discussed. We're retraining our brain. We're reprogramming our, our system to understand proper movements. So doing it half right is not okay. It has to be executed correctly. So therefore, we're working on being able to progress them to harder things in the future.
1: Yeah, and Wendy, a point you made there is simply doing an exercise where you're progressing and regressing within that same exercise could look like something totally new to somebody. So if all of a sudden you had them doing an elevated push-up, And now they're lower on the floor and they're doing it from their knees. Then you have them extend one knee or two knees for even a rep or two, then back to two knees to them, even though, you know, what you're doing is just progressing that push up to what the load they can handle to them. It's like, oh my God, we've never done this before. Okay. We can, we can play around with that as well, too, if that's what works for the the psychology of that side. Remember there's the science of training. And the art of training, the science is pretty easy to actually teach. The art of it where you can manipulate around people's personalities and what they like and what they need and make sure that you stay on track is, is you know, takes time. And that might be where people get kind of um, lost in the program design because they're hearing from their client. They're seeing their maybe, I'll use the word frustration or maybe um, not the proper expectations of what an exercise program should truly be but there's so many different ways just to kind of move things around even slightly. But to them, it's like, wow, we never did that before.
0: Yeah. So Marty, a question came in. How do you change reps and sets from session to session, especially if you're changing the exercises at the same time?
1: Well, that's a great question, but if I can, I control one thing at a time because if something has a bad effect, I want to know what it was. So let's assume I'm adding repetitions. I may not change the exercise, right? Because If I'm changing the repetition, that means to me, I know where their bar is, whether so, okay, okay, you nailed 10 reps, but at this weight, at this tempo, let's assume that within that phase of training, go to 12 reps, let's go to 12, whether it's for one set, two sets or all three sets. But if I change that and an exercise, and now they're like, well, I didn't really feel great from that or whatever. What was the change that caused the problem? So what I might do is I'm doing three sets of 10 and the person's progressing, we go to 12 the first time. And if their form and technique is amazing, they get to earn the 12 reps the next time. And I may purposely hold back on the third set and say, okay, that was enough added volume. We're going back to 10. The third set next time is your goal to get to 12. Now they don't care about doing the same exercise again. So I'm trying to control one factor at a time if I can. So that way I can see where this person's progressing, or if that man, mm, we went just a little bit too hard on that. Well, because I changed too many variables. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm looking at changing the exercise, I can kind of weigh it on a scale, say, well, this exercise is basically the same intensity and would be about as challenging to the muscular system as this other exercise. But I'm not going to change a two legged squat to a single leg squat and think that they're going to be the same, right? There's too many progressions in between. You've got the step up and the lunge in between so this is where you know there's no way wendy and i can cover this all in a 40 minute or whatever time we're going to spend here on the podcast but we're trying to give you massive concepts to say okay now i understand that the higher level thinking of how they are going through this and then you got to sit there and try to make those decisions each and every day so be careful changing up too much at once deaf and because again remember intensity could be the exercise it could be the volume and it could be the duration so you have to look at all of those factors when you're putting together your you know your programming and now you're looking at you know um, micro cycles versus matt you know mega cycles and all that kind of stuff you know you got to look at the t- totality of what's happening in a day a week and a month
0: well and i'm going to make it super simple for you lauren i don't change up my sets and reps very often i mean i go into a program and i have in my head that maybe This program is going to be two sets of 15 reps and I want them to hit 15 reps. And if I see that they cannot hit 15 reps, then I try to say, okay, Hey, listen, we are starting to do this. I'm giving you cues. We're having a little bit of problems here. We're going to do it this way instead. And I want you just to start, start this way and show them exactly what I want them to do. Because if I say that I want them to do 15 and they could do 15 and it was super simple, then the weight was too light. If I told them that I want them to do 15 and at 12, they look like a train wreck, then the weight was too heavy or the exercise was too complicated. And so it's just letting me know where they are at that moment. And then the next time that I write their program for the next visit, am I going to keep it? Maybe I should go instead of 15, I'm doing 12. I'm doing a little bit less, but I'm still keeping two sets. And then when they start to master you know, the different exercises that I've been giving them and they've been coming three or four, you know, three weeks and they're coming three times a week and I start to see that they're getting stronger and I'm adding more load, then I may go three sets of 12 or three sets of 15. And so that's when I go into the program knowing that my goal is two sets of this amount and these are the exercises that I chose. And then I have to progress or regress at that moment now if they executed it great everything looked perfect then i wrote the best program for that individual but i'll tell you this 90 percent of the time when i write a program i'm not really having to do any regressions or progressions because it's pretty spot on but there is a lot of cueing in the very beginning to teach them hey tuck your chin you're starting to look up or or hey listen you, you really want to add that little plus because i want to see your shoulder blades spread across your rib cage you know giving them those cues to help them you know, do very well on that particular workout, that's your end goal. But if you can see that, you know, you're not going to take someone on day one doing a single leg squat because you saw on the two-legged assessment that their feet turned out, knees caved in and they had a low back arch. That's way too progressed at that moment because there's so many different muscles that are, you know, joints are restricted, muscles are tight, some are weak. So we're really working on trying to get the body together as a whole And then once you start to see that they're progressing, their assessments are looking better, you're moving them up in the phases, then all these programs that you wrote in the very beginning, you can use again in phase two, but throw the strength component on there. We talked about this, you know, before, and and Marty, I know you and I are gonna do one on phase two. And then again, on phase five, you don't always have to reinvent the wheel, but you wanna be smart in the way that you're, you're designing these programs and think what is more basic and then work your way up in the model in that phase before you start to do something, you know, standing single leg on a Bozu ball with a body blade and doing all kinds of crazy things because you saw it on YouTube.
1: Yes, you know, sometimes the simplest exercise done right is far more challenging than these complicated things where, you know, uh, I kind of call it like circus tricks, right? So, you know, we're trying to be very uh, purposeful with our program design, very impactful with the exercises. And, you know, we're trying to target specific movement patterning with the right amount of tempo, right amount of time under tension, that, you know, the tempo there and the right intensity. Because if you're, you know, I always view it, it's either right or wrong. There is no in between, right? You're either, it's the body's a computer program. I'm either teaching it to do something better or I'm teaching it to get stronger in inefficiencies. So that's where, you know, we have to be very purposeful with our program design.
0: Yes. So if we go to the next slide, here's kind of things to consider. And if any of you that are listening if you have questions and i don't care if you ask a thousand questions right now so don't feel like oh my goodness i'm asking a ton of questions we want these questions that's why we're doing that so feel free to put them in the comments let us get your questions answered so therefore you feel better about what you're doing with your clients so just please be sure to put them in the chat but number one what does the assessment show what are you seeing and if you see something and you mark it even if it's slight Then you're going to use that solutions table that outlines exactly what to foam roll, exactly what to stretch and exactly what to strengthen. That is your number one key, your solutions table first, based on the assessment. If they have a lot of compensations, you're starting them in phase one, which I would say almost every one of my clients, professional athlete or not, starts in phase one and or phase two, depending on how long they've been coming to me um, based on their movement because compensations are just part of life. And we want to try to clean that up before we lift heavy and move fast. So that's going to be really important. What are their goals? Is it fat loss? If it is fat loss or weight loss, then you know what, keep them moving, minimize the rest periods as long as they don't need them. If they need them, then give it to them. Don't just assume that they can just go without stopping, you know, but that helps you on the program design. Are you doing a vertical load, chest, back, shoulders, biceps, tries, legs, and then repeating? That's a vertical load versus chest, relax, chest, relax, chest, relax, back, relax. So instead of just doing all three of the same exercise and then moving on to a different body part. Big thing is, is there's no right answer. Safety is always first, along with the five kinetic chain checkpoints. And then can they execute the acute variables? Remember the things that are changing, reps, sets, weight, or um, rest, Reps, sets, all that, the weight, those are the variables. Just make sure that whatever you give them, they can execute. If not, regress it. If it's easy, progress it next time. You don't have to overcomplicate it. And don't try to think of sexy exercises. Think of what these clients need, not what you like to do, because a lot of times we take certain exercises for granted. And when done correctly, such as a push up, with abs in, glutes in, chin in, and you're going at a very slow tempo, it's very, very hard to do. So don't just assume it's easy. Just That's why we want you guys to go through the model yourselves and see that, so you can get a feel of how hard it is to decelerate, to go through that eccentric, eccentric contraction at a slower pace.
1: Yeah, great points. And I think, you know, hopefully with everything we've talked about, then with these things to consider and you being your first client hopefully that we've answered some of the tough questions and giving people kind of a roadmap on how to get uh, just more proficient with program design. So I'll jump in here. So I talked about this at the very beginning. The OPT model will always be your best friend. So you have to reassess every four to six weeks. And that we're talking about more of a formal assessment. Yes, every single set, every single rep of every exercise is a movement assessment, right? If we start to see as we've talked about uh, many times on today's podcast, is if you see the five connect chain checkpoints kind of fall out, you either got to correct to get the person dialed back in, or that is telling you, yes, they can keep moving, but not without compensation, so they've hit their threshold. You have to follow the acute variables. If you are not following the acute variables, you're not in the specific phase of training that have been researched. That's why we have those acute variables and we reiterate them so many times on every type of podcast, every type of things that we put out, the acute variables are truly that secret sauce that make these phases of training come to life. And then do not overcomplicate the exercise. Wendy just touched on that. They don't need to be fancy. They need to be executed with precision. Know the muscles or the movements you're trying to target, and then your program design will fall right into place.
0: Yeah. I wish I had more to add, but I don't. So, I mean, the the key takeaways is, you know what, get on the Facebook page. Don't worry about how many questions you ask us or, you know, I've gotten feedback. Like, I feel like I ask all these questions and I'm overloading the Facebook page. Well, you know what, if you have the questions, ask them because the only way you're going to learn is to ask the questions because we don't know what people need unless you ask us. Mm If you're not following both Instagram channels, I strongly suggest you do so because again, when we do these Instagram lives or we have some of these special guests, they are giving so much information that I find even myself today so helpful and useful. And I learn something all the time. Remember, use all your resources, use your textbook, use, go to the, the NASM, um, nasm.org has a library of exercises. There's examples of a lot of me um, queuing some of these examples, you know, hey, common compensations are this. This is how you cue out of it. This is how you teach a, a client how to do it. So they're not just exercises of or videos of exercises. There's also help within those videos. As Marty mentioned, stick to the model. The model. If you look at everything, print it out. We, you know, we're going to also do upcoming podcasts to help you guys too, because so many programming questions are coming in. The model is not meant to be complicated. We really have given you all the information. We want to help you apply it, but we don't know, we don't know that until, um, until we get your questions. So ask us the questions. And then the last part of it is let us help you. You know, we want to be able to help you guys. That's why we do this. And, um, and so, yeah, so there was another question, Marty, I'm going to read it to you and I'll let you answer it. So basically I can either keep the exercises the same example, just chest press, um, on ball, chest press on cable, floor push up from session to session. And then the next time I come back around to the same exercise
1: you know, that's one way to do it, right? Like I could start at the eight reps with an exercise. Next time do 10 reps. Next time when they're ready to do 12, or as Wendy said, Monday could be my standing cable. So I'm unsupported in my spine. If you're doing stabilization next time, I could might be able to do a modified or floor push up with that same tempo. So again, we, we can't say it has to be done this way. There are multiple ways to attack it but as we said we're going to pick a set and rep range and we want everybody to fall within that for each phase of training so you have to make the adjustments based on your client and remember you have the best program design and i went to a concert last night so if i stayed up later and got up at the same time i may not be the same person coming in for that 6 a.m session so you have to be ready to modify and not to say hey this is drawn up on paper this is what you have to do so You know, Lauren, I think you're on the right track. I can see through your questions that you're kind of mapping out what we are talking about. So hopefully, we're able to, you know, give you some key takeaways. And now, when you go into the gym, you'll start looking at programming just a little bit differently.
0: Yeah. And to piggyback just really quick off of that, too, Marty and I did a podcast um, talking about the neural continuum, and that neural continuum will also help you. So, when you go back, maybe the next week, if you did chest press on the ball Monday, then on the cable Wednesday and a push up on Friday, maybe the next Monday you do the chest press on the ball alternating arms. So it doesn't have to be an increased reps. You could change it up a little bit on how they're doing it. And then chest press on the cable, they alternate arms. And then the push up, you know, yeah, you can do the push up any way you want. So just so you know, it doesn't always have to be just changing the sets. Think about, you know, being creative in your programming. It is going to cause a different demand. However, you're still staying within that 4-2-1 tempo and 12 to 20 reps, whatever
1: you choose, and then you should be golden. Great stuff. And for all of you that joined us today, thank you so much. And you'll see here, Wendy and I both mentioned multiple times that you can reach out to us. So You'll see both Wendy and my email address, very simple, our first and last name with the dot in between. Then Instagram, Wendy, the air at wendy.bats13. My Instagram is dr.martymiller72. So Wendy, thank you so much for going through the Facebook page, grabbing this question. And for all of you that joined us this week, thank you so much. And most importantly, we look forward to seeing you next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable.